Hello and welcome back to another episode of Nick Tiffany's Movie Reviews in the podcast form. Today we're talking about undoubtedly my favorite movie of the year, the most successful movie of the year, uh, and the movie that I think honestly brought movies back in a time where COVID and the pandemic had stripped away for a while what it was to go and experience a movie in the theaters. Uh, That would be Top Gun Maverick, 30 years in the making. You know, back in 1986, the original Top Gun came out, and obviously I wasn't around at that time, but it was a movie that was played many a time in my household growing up. Um, I can remember watching it with my dad and my granddad on a number of occasions, um, and just being totally drawn in, whether it was the fighter jets, Maverick's attitude, Iceman, everything. I mean, the, the movie is iconic for a reason, and the further away we've gotten from it, Obviously, we're in a world now where sequels dominate the movies. Um, Not a lot of original ideas, and even fewer original ideas in those sequels or reboots. You know, they're like, we're just going to rehash kind of what they did in the first one. And it's funny, because I have heard some people say, oh, this new Top Gun, pretty much just like the last one. And that's kind of crazy to me, because I went back and I watched the first Top Gun movie. And while there is a decent story there, you know, a lot of it's just kind of quick progression, you know, Maverick's an ace, you're going to lose Goose, they're going to graduate, and then there's a final cool battle, you know. Um, some great moments throughout the film, obviously iconic moments. But Top Gun Maverick, to me, really stood out and blew me away because of the time that they took to craft a really interesting story. And to craft a story that stays true to the character, challenges the character, and honestly lets us see a lot more to him than we saw in the first film. Um, this film opens with honestly one of the best opening sequences I've probably ever seen in a movie and seeing this movie in IMAX when it came out just freaking blew my mind. Um, Maverick is a, uh, space test pilot essentially, and they're working on Operation Dark Star, which is this crazy Black Hawk jet that's going to scramble up to hopefully Mach 10. And that's what they're trying to test. And, Immediately, the film sets the scene for the kind of risk-taker that Maverick is, you know, the kind of person who, despite the orders from the generals to say, hey, you know what, we're going to scrap the program, terminate the flight, you know, someone's coming to shut it down. Of course, Maverick would say, well, he's not here yet, so let's get it up and going before he gets here, and let's push the threshold. Let's hit Mach 10 before he gets here. Um, And it's just such a cool sequence to watch the whole setup in the crew and everyone, all right, you know what, rain engines, thrusters, blast shields, everything, you know, check, 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 check engine. Um, oh my God. I mean, it's stunningly shot. The sound was incredible. And as Maverick takes off and he's flying, you know, what looks like just above the Earth's atmosphere, you've got some beautiful, beautiful breathtaking shots of the Earth as he's kind of coming around. And uh, I mean, it just takes your breath away. It's the stuff that movies are about. Right from the start, this movie grabs you and shows you, hey, you're going to be seeing some awesome shit. You are going to be put in the front seat of these fighter pilots and these planes and experience what it's like to fly up there with them. And that, you know, to their credit for this film as well, Tom Cruise has talked a lot about how he kind of had to train up a lot of the, uh, the fighter pilots and the actors through multiple different planes, getting them comfortable flying Cessnas, 
passenger planes, prop planes, eventually then flying in some fighter jets, learning how to position their cameras inside the planes themselves while they're filming. You know, if you're going to be flying at this angle, you've got to know where the sun's coming from. So you're going to have to mount your camera here. You're going to have to adjust. The attention to so much detail stands out so much in this film where you're watching Tom Cruise's face peeling back. You know, he looks like the elephant man at times when he's hitting nine G's just because gravity is pulling his face down. Um, and you see it on all the actors, and it just adds so much more depth to what's going on. The stakes feel so much realer when they're hitting these crazy rolls and abrupt stops and deploying their flares. Um, a huge part of also spending 30 years waiting to make a sequel to this, kind of like James Cameron with Avatar, is it's like, hey, I want better technology. I want better cameras to mount on the planes. I want to be able for us to do more than we did the first time. So, Tom Cruise enlisted the help of Joseph Kaczynski, his former director of the film Oblivion, a wonderfully awesome sci-fi epic movie with a fantastic soundtrack, and he directed Tron Legacy as well, which, as time has proved, was really one of Disney's better films in the last, I don't know how many years, and actually kind of gave you something cool, visually feasting with, yet again, another fantastic soundtrack. You got M83 and then Daft Punk, respectively, doing those. You've got Lady Gaga and One Republic kind of coming in to help do the uh, the theme and the, the songs for Top Gun Maverick this time around. So, you know, they really, I really appreciate how much time and care they put into taking this time to tell the story. Um, obviously, Tony Scott, the director of the first film, is no longer with us. So, you know, they've got a, a great little tribute to him as well. And they've got a wonderful tribute in the character of Iceman in this film. Uh, Val Kilmer, who's had his own battles with cancer, you know, has almost no ability to speak at the moment. Uh, when it was revealed he was going to be in the film, I think a lot of people were kind of curious how it might be handled. You know, is he going to have a large role? Is he going to be some little bit character? And he's the freaking admiral. Um, they pay such respect to him, um, and honestly, the lack of his ability to speak almost lends Tom Cruise's performance to be a little bit more on the emotional and vulnerable side, um, leaving lots of silence for him to kind of fill, to contemplate the conversations that they're having via text, um, or whether he's typing it out on the computer. Um, it just felt necessary to have him in this story, and it was handled... I think beautifully, um, and they've got such a terrific supporting cast this time around. Jennifer Connelly is, you know, the Kelly McGinnis of this story. Not that there's anything similar with the two characters. Um, Jennifer Connelly's Penny being a daughter of an admiral that I'm sure Maverick pissed off, as they kind of note to in the film. Uh, but it's clear they've got a history. It's clear that they both have wanted to settle down and have tried a couple times. But Maverick being Maverick. He's always off doing the next thing that might get him killed or might get him promoted. Or, well, I shouldn't say promoted because he doesn't take a promotion. He's fine being a captain because that means he's actually still there in the action. Um, and so when the story kind of unfolds and they want to bring Maverick back to be somewhat of a teacher at Top Gun in the sense that they need him to help train for an upcoming mission, he's brought in to help all of Top Gun's best and brightest to figure out, all right, you know, we're going to take 
six to eight of you guys on this, and I need to figure out who among the best is really the best. Which leads way for Goose's son, Rooster, played wonderfully by Miles Teller, to come into the story and kind of give you that emotional pull of, oh God, you know, his worst fear is that he doesn't want to lose Rooster the same way that he lost Goose. He doesn't even want to put Rooster in that position. But he's already kind of kept Rooster from this naval fighter pilot life. And so there's already resentment there between uh, Rooster and himself already, um, which is the emotional anchor of this story. But then you've also got Glenn Powell playing that Iceman-like role in Hangman, who honestly steals the show anytime he's involved. He's wisecracking. He is just so slick and so smooth with his insults that it doesn't always feel like you're like, oh, I'm kind of not even mad that he said that because, you know, he either had the balls to say it or he kind of presented it in such a way that you're like, you know what, I can't be mad at him. Um, you've got Danny Maria, uh, Ramirez, Jay Ellis, Monaco uh, Barbero, and Loomis Pullman kind of rounding out some of those other fighter pilots that we stick with and see. And what this film does so well is, of course, in Tom Cruise fashion, he tells me, you know what? You should know the book inside and out. I don't care about that. Let's get up in the sky and show me what you're made of. And this film launches right into practice sessions. These, you know, everything you think you know, I'm here to try to test that and push your limits. Because the enemy's got new fifth generation fighter pilots, you know, or fighter jets. You know, we've lost a technical advantage, so it's going to come down to the pilot in the seat. Um, this is emphasized throughout the film because it is the difference between us having more of a reliance on AI, getting more dependent on things to do stuff for us. There's no emotion. There's no reaction that isn't calculated. And sometimes you can't calculate instinct and what you're supposed to do in some of these situations. And that's obviously what uh, Maverick's draw is, is because he's able to make some of these crazy decisions that you would never think to make. It wouldn't cross your mind. But in that split second, that's the difference between life or death. And he does the impossible or the seemingly impossible. Um, and so there's so many great moments where you're up in the air, getting all sorts of battle tacticians, um, all sorts of test runs, so many cool, just fun moments while they're building up to the larger story and the larger, almost Death Star trench run-like deal that they're going to have to complete. Um, you know, I think in a good way, this film lifts from some uh, some great films of old, obviously, some of the best blockbusters, because there's an obvious reference to Star Wars, just in how they're going to have to scale along a trench way below. You're going to have to drop two sets of bombs on a really small target, hopefully blowing this up and getting us out of there. You're going to be in a dogfight all the way through with cannons and blasters. Um, and I think about just how awesome and unique Star Wars looks. And how cool that trench run sequence is. And how great it looked. And thinking, you know, I wonder how this is going to look with fighter jets. And how they're going to make this work. And how cool that's going to be. Well, they made it work. And they made it work exceptionally well. Um, there's a, a moment in the film where, you know, everyone's feeling... I don't know if this can be done. And the amount of time that we have with the, uh, the speed that we have to fly at. At the height we have to keep it under. All these variables moving around a rocky cavern. It doesn't seem possible. And so who comes along, of course, whether to save his own ass 
or to inspire the rest of them is Maverick. And his two minute, 15 second test run sequence is like the stuff of movies. I had goosebumps watching it the first time and every subsequent time, which is probably about seven times in theaters now. Um, Everyone is watching on pins and needles, waiting to see if Tom Cruise is going to make it, if Maverick can get it done on his own in a shorter time than what they've planned. There's so much tension that they hold so well, and the sequence is filmed unbelievably. You know, you've got this jet flying across the desert, and as soon as he pulls up, this cloud, it's almost this whirlwind of sand kind of follows him up as he's ready to go into 9Gs and invert turn. It's just, it is, uh, you know, I'd say indescribable, but here I am blabbering and trying to <laughs> trying to make sense of it all for you. But it's it's got to be seen to be believed. And when you see it, it's just going to grab a hold of you. It's fantastic. Um, I seriously cannot say enough about how well this movie is shot, the cinematography, the locations and actual aerial footage that they're really using. Um, because I went to a fan screening they did with background on the movie, you know, I learned Tom Cruise is the first person who is not a member of the Navy, the first person who's ever been able to ride in the back seat and launch in a fighter jet off of an aircraft carrier. Um, in the first movie, you see him get set up for it and you see the plane launch, but he wasn't allowed to be in there. Um, but over these three decades, you know, he's created such a great relationship with the Navy. Um, and I think that they pay a great deal of respect to the Navy and to our fighters in this film, you know, in a way that's not beating you over the head with patriotism, but really does kind of put you in their shoes and trying to live in the world that they inhabit. Um, it just, I can't say enough great things about this movie. It even gets a little bit mission impossible at times at the end, which, you know what, as long as you got Tom Cruise there, I won't doubt it. You know, it was almost like, okay, well, we just kind of went from a fighter pilot movie to Mission Impossible, but I'm here for it. They craft it so well. It just, it doesn't feel, I don't feel bad for enjoying this movie so much. But after a while, having reviewed movies and watching them as often as I do, and I think in the state of films that we have now, whether it's especially the Marvel films that are just churning out, you know, we're getting four out in a year and we're not spending a lot of time on them and we're going to reboot this old film and it's going to be great. We'll get all the old actors and we'll try to rehash it. So much of it just feels soulless and it's funny rather than being fun or, you know, we're going to be less serious because we want to try to connect with the broadest audience. Um, I never got any of that from this movie at all. Um, it really shines on its own. It's leagues better than the first. I don't care what anybody says. It is. If the first one's excellent, this one is fan-freaking-tastic. It is off the charts. It is by far away the best movie of the year. Tom Cruise would be in my conversation for the best actor because you cannot have this film without him. That freaking smile that he gives. You know, he's got this little smirk. And he's got any you know any jokes about it in the movie too. They're like, I don't like that face, Maverick. I don't I don't know what's going on. He's like, it's it's the only one that I got. You know? And Tom Cruise just sells this kind of tongue in cheek, 
look and feel where you're like, you know what? I know this dude's about to do something so risky and so stupid, but God damn it. He's going to pull it off, isn't he? Um, and he just, it just is so enjoyable to watch this film. Um, and one of the coolest things for me too is, you know, there's been a number of movies now over time as more and more sequels have been created from films of the past. You know, I hear from my dad all the time about seeing Star Wars when he was a kid and just how life-changing that experience was. And, you know, I've thought about movies where, in my own right, like what was a film I saw as a kid for the first time that really blew people away in that same sense, whether it was seeing Avatar again and again and again. I'd call The Dark Knight one of those movies where it was like, I probably saw that film seven times in theaters. Um, There are movies where it's like, God, you just had to be there. Aliens, you know, and my dad loved Alien and Aliens and the idea of something popping out of someone's chest. And for my audience and age now, I'm like, oh, that looks like a puppet popping out of him. And then we go see Prometheus or we see Alien Covenant and it's like, oh, my God, this is horrifying. You know, they've gotten so much better at showing how terrifying it is. Um So seeing this movie with my dad, um, it kind of reminded me of when we went and saw The Force Awakens. Um, This is a much better movie than The Force Awakens, but that feel in the movie theater, that kid-like excitement of like, okay, our heroes are back. Even though they're older, you know, their story is similar, and hopefully we're going to have some of that spirit of the original. Um, So I remember seeing Star Wars, The Force Awakens with my dad on opening night, and then going and watching it literally one theater over with a whole bunch of friends after. Um, But Top Gun, I mean, this was a movie that we've watched countless times at home. And so watching this movie together in IMAX was like, number one, I'm so glad that I could share this experience with someone who just gets it, who has family and our family and our military ties and everything, who understands what this service is like, all these things. And just like, it was such a cool experience to have to watch this with him and then to watch it with my sister and him and just you know like it's it's one of those full circle deals where it's like this is what I love about movies that I can't wait to share with my kids you know these are the experiences that truly make movie making and the idea of having movies and all of this stuff worthwhile it's why you should support the arts it's why movies can matter um I love how this film ends with Lady Gaga's theme. They've got like the best ending credits as far as, you know, getting your cast goes. You've got the big song playing. It's almost a montage of all their smiles or their little jokes or whatever with the actors' names. I just, everything they did in this movie, they did so well. It's so respectful to everyone involved. It is so complimentary of everyone involved in the spirit of flying and all these things. Um, God, (laughs) I mean, I'm going to probably put it on a 4K Blu-ray after this right now because it's just, it's that good. And if you get the time or if you don't have it, make it, make it a point to watch this movie, especially before the Oscars, because everyone's always talking about how, hey, year after year, it feels like the only films that win or get nominated are the independent ones that come out at the tail end of the year that nobody sees. Top Gun Maverick dominated the box office for almost six months i had to wait until november to get that film on digital because they were like you know what we're leaving it in the theater people come week after week after week and we're shattering records and we're bringing life back to the theater 
Um, and then they passed the baton off to Avatar in December and into January. And now we got it on DVD. So do yourselves a favor. Watch Top Gun Maverick. You know, if you've seen it and you love it, let me know why. If you hate it, please let me know why. We can get a diagnosis going for you. Um, as uh, as I'm finishing this top 10 film series of 2022, I know I said I wouldn't really rank most of those movies because they're all good in so many ways, but Top Gun is definitively the best movie of 2022 and undoubtedly my favorite film of that year as well. So thank you again. Tune in for the next episode. We're going to get into the Northmen. We're going to go from fighter pilots to Vikings. So make sure you watch and listen. Thanks again, y'all.